I wanted to start today uh, by making a joke about how uh, you should be honored that you get to hear from me, but in reality, uh, jokes should have a tinge of truth to them to be funny. Um, and the truth is, I'm I feel more than honored to be here today. I don't I don't want that to sound inauthentic or dramatic, but um, I've been at CBC for about 13 years. This is my home. Um, I've been through a lot of really good times and really bad times in this church, and um, I'm I'm just thrilled to be given the opportunity to do this. And so I will say that um, the my experience teaching has mostly been in the youth group, um, and so this is probably only my second, third, or possibly fourth time, pre, you know, uh, standing up in front of adults and teaching. And so you guys will get to stumble through this with this me. This is the youth group. This is the, yeah, there you go. So <laughs> but what I would like to start with is, you know, we, we are talking about sanctification. And so uh, the, the leaders of this um, teaching team, if you will, are going through a book uh, called Sanctification, The Transformed Life uh, by David Campbell. And it's been really good and helpful. Um, and today's topic is going to be, it's presented in the book as a question. And the question is, is it plain sailing? Right? So we've been justified and we are being sanctified. Is that journey easy? Is that journey plain sailing? And I think before we even get into it, I think we all probably know what the answer to that is. But in that regard, I wanted to share something funny um, that I've found online this week. This is a video, and the, the, the caption reads, me working out my sanctification. And I'll bring it over to you guys in a minute. This is, this is an infant trying to put on his socks, and he's having so much trouble that he just spins around, throws the socks, throws himself on the ground. This is us working out our sanctification. It's the epitome of pitching your, <laughs> pitching your religious socks. Wait a minute. Who needs those socks? I don't yes. know. Who needs those? So anyway, I thought that was really funny. I think that's uh, a, good, a good reminder of what sanctification can look like, right? Uh, what it can look like. So I'm actually going to go ahead and pray. I don't want to get too much into it because I know that for, for the guys that edit this, they take everything after the prayer. So I'm going to pray. I want to open us in prayer real quick and then get into it. Uh, so that we can cover it all. So, <clears throat> God, thank you so much for being here today. Um, thank you for being in the midst of us. God, we know that as, as believers gather together, your, your spirit is there amongst us. Your spirit resides in us. Mm-hmm. So we ask that you be with us this morning as we discuss your word. <clears throat> God, I just ask that, um, that as I talk, it's not me, that it's you. It's that you're, it's your spirit working through the words that are being spoken. So in that regard, if there's anything that's unclear, God, I ask that through your Spirit's power you make it clear. God, if there are any questions, help us to to not be afraid to to address them, to ask them. God, this is us as a body of believers working through these things together, and it is is such an encouraging uh, thing to do that. And so be with us this morning. ask that you be with um, uh, either Ryan or Jeremy, whoever's preaching this morning, God, that you would speak through them. That you would be with them as they deliver um, a message from your word. God, prepare our hearts to receive uh, what it is that you would teach us through your word this morning. Um, and for those serving God, for those of us teaching or preaching or leading worship, just help us to be invisible. God, help us to be uh, a mirror reflecting you. And so I just ask again that you would be with us this morning. Help my words to be clear. And uh, thank you again for your son 
his death on the cross, his resurrection, and the salvation that we now have through you. Just thank you, God, for all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, let's get started. I, I would like to do, and I have to be mindful of the time, um, <clears throat> I'd like to do kind of what Jeremy does, uh, which is start off with a recap. There's a couple of new faces, and I think it's good. We're talking about something like sanctification, especially uh, through the lens of Reformed theology, which was what we subscribe to. There's some, just some nuances and things that I want to keep in mind. So I feel like uh, a recap, as Jeremy has done in his lessons, has been helpful. So the first thing is the sort of what we're calling the timeline, right? So the first thing is, and I know it's again, it's review. We have our justification, which ultimately leads to our glorification. This process right here is called sanctification. It's important that we remember this because our justification is the grounds for our sanctification, right? So our justification is what allows us to be sanctified. We have been legally declared righteous by Christ. Ultimately, we'll be glorified. We're not there yet, right? So this process is sanctification. The way that I described it to myself, and this may be helpful for you, may not be, but the justification is our assurance. Glorification is ultimately our hope. And sanctification is our journey between those two things. Mm. Ultimately, we are grounded in our justification. We have the hope of being perfected and glorified as our bodies uh, pass away from this life to the next. We have that glory of, be, of our bodies being physically resurrected, but our spirits joining with those resurrected bodies in heaven and being ultimately glorified. So that's the first point. Uh, the second point that kind of goes along with this is remembering the, um, the balance that's here. So Jeremy talked about two different kinds of sanctification. We talked about how there's sort of a, Jeremy, I think you, the word you used was definite. Is that right? Definitive. 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 Yeah. Definitive. And then there's progressive. So there's two different realities here. And... <clears throat> Does somebody want to possibly describe why that's important to have these distinctions? We talked about this last week. Does anybody remember why having these two distinctions is important? Jeremy. Well, it's important to understand that we have definitive sanctification that's already assured Going back to my notes, because I um, First Corinthians is one that I like to go back to because we are already sanctified. We are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So it's a blessing that's presented as already ours. Right. Right. So in that way, so based off some of those patterns, and Jeremy read some other ones as well. Um, I didn't include them in my recap, but that language there is, is speaking of past tense, mm-hmm. right? So it's already been done, right? We know that about our justification. We know that, that we have been justified, right? That's something that, as you said, is a punctiliar moment in time. But the way that scripture describes this also is that in our sanctification, we are at a time 
what other authors have described as positionally sanctified. Yeah. Right? So we are positionally sanctified. Right? That means, going back to that language of sanctification, the language of being set apart, right? in that moment we are set apart because the old has passed away and the new has come. So we have that, but we also have the progressive because, okay, we've been positionally sanctified, right? What, do we still struggle with sin though? Absolutely. Do we still struggle? 100%. We still struggle, right? Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) We still struggle, right? So obviously, yes, there is that positional aspect of that is almost similar to justification, where in positionally we have been set apart, but we we're not yet to glorification. We haven't our bodies haven't been perfected. We aren't perfected. Um, so one author put it. I believe it was um, I think it was Sinclair Ferguson. Sanctification is the process of putting to practice your position. Hmm. And I like the way that's stated because this is a position. Right? This is a position that is true in us. We are positionally sanctified. We're not there yet. And so there is an aspect, we'll get into that today, um, more of this today, about have, the progressive aspect. Any questions? Yeah, ask, please. Yeah, because uh, for me, this, the terminology is a little bit new. Sure. Not, I mean, look at the words in the dictionary I got, but yeah. how do you use them? How are you using those words? What does it mean to you? Which when, words? When so. you think definitive. Right. I'm trying to think, how does that... Yeah. So there's the, the, posi- the definitive or positional aspect of our sanctification is that when we are regenerated, when we become believers, there is that legal aspect of being justified. Our sin no longer is counted against us. Okay. Because Christ died, he paid the penalty for our sin. And so we are therefore justified, right? We're, it is a legal declaration. We are not made righteous because we still struggle. That's evident. But we are declared righteous. So it's this moment in time. So that's what we mean by justification. The only reason I bring this up, this sort of delineation, this definitive, what I'm calling definitive, or what Jeremy calls definitive, or what somebody else may say positional, is just describing sanctification as what we see in some passages in Scripture. The passages being in 1 Corinthians, I think there's maybe talk in 2 Corinthians as well, of sanctification as something that's already happened. Okay. So what we're trying to do is, we're, what we're trying to reconcile here is that there is language in Scripture that says we've already been sanctified, but then there is other language that says we are being sanctified, and that we still struggle. Particularly Paul talks about this in Romans, how I keep doing the things I don't want to do. Right. I, I keep not doing the things that I want to do. So there's an obvious struggle. And so we're basically just trying to define those Kind of states those those two different sort of realities that are a part of sanctification, and we I said this last week, and it's just it's something that sticks out in my mind, and it's um, for you guys. It, it may not be as important to you as it is to me, but the reason I like making sure we understand both realities is because um, if you focus too much on the definitive, you and I'm not, I'm going to try to use not the theological terms because you know. What we would call, you sort of slip into this state of antinomianism. And the antinomian means you're against the law. Right? The law of God is good. Scripture talks about how the law of God is good. And we need to obey it. So if you focus too much on this, you start thinking in your mind, well, I don't have to do anything. I'm not required to do anything. If I sin, it's okay. 
because God has forgiven that. We see in Romans 6 that that's not the case. Well, you know, it's interesting that the way you're saying that, because actually I, I kind of deal with that myself, where it's, you, you know you've been justified, I guess would be the right word. Yeah. And yet we do struggle. And then you think, no, I'm doing too much. And it looks like I'm doing the work yeah. as opposed to he's done the work already for me, right? Right. Yeah. And that's good. We'll get to that a little bit later as well. And so the progressive, the progressive side, if we focus too much on what we're doing in and of ourselves, which again, we're not really doing. It's, the, it's by the Spirit's power, right? But if we're actively focusing in on what the Spirit's doing in us and trying on our own effort to produce that, mm-hmm. we end up sort of looking like legalists. We may not be that way. We may not actually uh, subscribe to that or call ourselves that, but our, our, our played out theology starts to look legalistic as if there are things we have to do in order for God to love us or to favor us or to justify us. And that's not true either. So that's the only reason we want to make these distinctions is one, just to call them out, but then hopefully keep them in balance with one another. All right, I'm going to move a little faster. <laughs> I've got so much. You know, Danny, when I think of yeah, the definitive part of this, yeah. I think of the other scripture that says you are seated in heavenly places. Oh, yeah. we are yes we are seated but then why does it feel like if i'm seated in the heavenly places why does it feel like i'm digging through a dumpster sometimes (laughs) you know i feel like i'm seated on nails right now yeah like (laughs) jay were you about he's like were you about to say something oh no no okay gotcha (laughs) have everybody met jay by the way jay's visiting for the first time i'm glad you're here jay thank you all right, I'm going to move a little faster so we actually get into what this chapter is about. So the second point is uh, sanctification is ultimately a work of God. Amen. That's the thing to keep in mind this entire time, right? And I think, Jeff, you kind of bring up a good point, right? There are, there are times when we start, we start throwing out all these theological words. And you know, the thing that I'm, I'm reminded of in my day-to-day life is I have an almost 7-year-old, an almost 4-year-old, and an almost 2-year-old. If I can't explain this to them, I probably don't get it well enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I probably don't understand it as fully as I think I do. Right? And so if we keep in mind that ultimately it's a work of God, then we, we prevent ourselves from thinking that it's about us or that we do this through our own power because we don't. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So ultimately it's a work of God. It involves the Trinity. I, I'm not a doctor, Jerry, but I think my hand is <laughs> involves the Trinity. In that, the Father plans it, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of these scriptures real quick just to get through the recap a little faster. Romans three twenty three through twenty five says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood." to be received by faith. And here's my favorite part. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like that, I'm not a lawyer mm-hmm. at all, um, but the, the term forbearance, if we define forbearance in a legal sense, the term forbearance means that we are, we are foregoing the right to do something. Does that make sense? So legally, God has the right to condemn us but he doesn't in his divine forbearance 
he passed over former sins. Like, if that's not a praise God, I'm not sure what it is. is. Um, So I like that language there. Uh, So the Father plans and purposes our sanctification. The Son dies for it and gives it to us. And then the Spirit does the work of inward transformation. So Galatians 3, 2 through 3 says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit of works of the law? Excuse me. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Mm. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And I love the tone there. The tone's a little, it's a little like, come on, man. Like, you you really think that? Um, Because that's kind of how it feels, right? And so... What he's saying there, it's it's the work has been begun by the Spirit. It's not then completed by the flesh. It's completed by the Spirit. And the, the only way you know that is simply your faith. That it's been counted to us as yeah, counted to us as righteousness by faith. I, it's not like there's like lights that come on and show status or anything. Right. Yeah. No. It's just a location. Yeah. Right. Sorry, what were you saying? Just justification. Like, that's the, the cornerstone. I, I love the... That's a, such a fantastic distinction and helpful thing to think of, Danny, that justification is our assurance, glorification is our hope, and sanctification is our process. When do we get to glorification? Is that only at the time... The time of our deaths. Okay. I, mean, I mean, ultimately, at the time of our deaths, we are moved from one life to the next. We are ushered into the heavenly places. Uh, but then at a point in time at Christ's return, now we're getting into eschatology, um, uh, our bodies will be resurrected. Our physical bodies will be resurrected, perfected, and then our spirits will. And, I'm, and I'll just be honest say I'm not equipped to talk about end times. <laughs> yeah. And I say equipped as in not that I don't have an interest or an opinion, but not I'm not prepared to defend that stance. But... Um, so that's the recap. Uh, there's actually more, but I think I actually want to pause there because we only have about 30 minutes left. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we actually get to the chapter. And so the chapter is asking the question, is the li- is our life in Christ, is this, this reality that we now live in, right? We've been justified. We've been declared righteous. We've been given a new spirit. We've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Is that life now plain sailing? And basically what he's meaning is, are we hopping in the sailboat and moving throughout life, and are we expecting any waves to come? <laughs> the answer is yes, right? The answer is we will expect these things. And so I want to talk about that because that's what the chapter's about. What I also want to do is I don't want to step on any toes for next week um, because this chapter kind of ends with that, which the last line of this chapter sort of talks about how we shouldn't lose hope, but it kind of ends there and then moves on to the next chapter. So I'm actually going to break it down into, for the next 15 or 20 minutes, talk about what Scripture says about that struggle so that we know it's not just us, we're not crazy. Like, yes, if, like, if you and I, Jeff, we say, yes, we, we both experienced struggle, right? Yeah. There's a proof in that, right? But also, there's proof in here, which is more important. Here in Scripture, we see that a life of struggle, of conflict, is awaiting for us. And that's more important to me is to sort of prove through scripture that that reality is true. And then I want to end it with um, the hope that we have, because I don't want to end there. I don't want to end with, this life is going to be really hard. Good luck. (laughs) It's not where I want to end. So, all right.
Okay. So our faith in Christ has brought us into union with him, which has freed us from the controlling influence of sin, and it allows us to live the God-pleasing life that it was once impossible for us to live. So before uh, before our regeneration, we couldn't please God. There was nothing we could do to please him, right? There's nothing we could do of our own of our own accord, of our own power to please God. Because we've been brought into union with him, that controlling influence of sin is gone. Mm. We now have the ability to live in such a way that honors God and brings God glory. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, should it be easy? We've been, if we've been freed from sin, right? It shouldn't present any issue to us. Is that true? No. <laughs> That's false. I literally put in my notes, so it should be easy, right? Second point, hardly. <laughs> so I just like to hear, again, obviously we're not going to be talking about specific sin struggles, but broadly speaking, just somebody describe what, what sanctification has looked like for them or in your own life. Is anybody willing to do that? Does anybody want to do that? What does sanctification help. look like? I can help you that way. You can have a worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, I've been, oh, my mother and father raised me since I was a kid in the church. The only thing is, you know, I, I think for most people, is it not true that we don't really make it our own religion until much later? Mm. I mean, because, you know, you kind of are, are there going to church for, with your family. Yeah. But it's not really a, you're not really in. So at the point where you, it's really something that you're doing. Yeah. That's justification, I would assume. Justification is what happens the moment that we are regenerated by the Spirit. So, for some of us, that may not... For some of us, this is something I struggled with when I was younger. Yeah. Like you, I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. So I would hear all these testimonies. I'd hear all these incredible stories of what God's done in these people's lives. You know, I was on the street selling crack cocaine and... Uh, you know, and I was also a tattoo artist, and I had long hair. And uh, and then some a preacher came up to me on the street and prayed for me. And right then, my life changed, and I went and planted a church in Ethiopia. And millions <laughs> in that country came to know the Lord, and I died. And there are a million people there to celebrate me. And you shaved. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I and I shaved my face because anyway. Someone in the Old Testament said something about long hair being a shame for men. So <laughs> my point is, that's kind of how we, we tend to think of sanctification sometimes. Or that's the sort of the comparison that we make in our lives. That's the comparison that I made. Was I don't I don't have a story. Mm. Like when was I actually regenerated? Well, can you ask? Can I ask one question about that? Because like yeah. when we when I think about at some point in time, it's like okay. I considered myself to be Christian because I've done these things. So it's kind of a help me out, help me out. It's kind of mechanical almost. And so, yet the Bible tells us that we behold all things become new. Kind of that verse you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I never really felt all things became new. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's a happens now and then I, I miss my sanctification along the way? No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, the, it's easy to get lost in, in that language, yeah. right? Things are being made new, right? The, the old has come, or excuse me, the old has gone, the new has come. And so it's easy to think in terms of like what you were just saying, like there, I didn't see this moment of newness. Right. Did, I, did I miss it? 
Right. right. So that's that's, right. So are, are, that's a process. That it's a process. Now, for some people, there are obvious mo- for some people there are obvious moments of you know I was I was anti God. I was on the street selling drugs, and not only was I just selling drugs, but I hated God. I hated the things of God. It wasn't just that I was sinning; it's that I was doing it intentionally, with no remorse, with no concern. And then God changed me, regenerated my heart, and things looked just different. Right. But for guys like you and I who grew up in the church, we 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 may look back and go, I don't I don't remember that moment. Yeah. I don't remember a particular moment. Is it so more so progressive that you just it's almost like a flatline curve? Yeah, I think we tend to think of, you know, when we start looking at this stuff and we start reading through some of the some of the language in Scripture gives us the impression that it's supposed to be like this. Yeah, we're here. We get can we you know we're generated and then boom, we just do this the entire time, right? Sometimes we even think it's something like this. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if it were like that? I could see a great sermon series based off of a stair step of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Then, right? right? Just take these steps, right? So you, oh, I grew a little bit. I'm kind of hanging out, and I learned this thing. I did this thing, hanging out for a little bit. Oh, did this. Doesn't work. And it doesn't work that way. You using that what you're talking about because for me, you think, well, at what point do I move to the next step? There's no step. No, that's, right. Right. that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. The point is there are no steps, <laughs> and everybody's sanctification is going to look different. Okay, that makes sense to me. Everybody's sanctification is going to look different. Mine may look like this. Mine too. <laughs> you know what? Yours is probably going to look something like that too. But you may go up where I go down. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody's sanctification, that journey that we're on, is going to look different. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, that's good. I'm glad because I feel like I'm just spitballing. Is that helpful? Yes. And that's, Nobody's journey is going to look the same. And so what I like to think about is, my wife and I have talked a lot about this. Not the only, your assurance to be in our, in our justification, the finished work of Christ. Think about this. That, that work of Christ was for us, and it was complete. And now there is a work in us, but the work in us isn't complete. So the work for us is complete, but the work in us isn't. And so, in my mind, the struggle is not the only proof. Our proof and our assurance is in our justification. But if you're struggling against sin, right, regardless of how much, I want to be be careful, but if you're struggling against your sin and you feel the conviction of sin on your life, that is a very good sign that you're being sanctified. Yeah, I was going to just ask that. And even better, the last part, because... Repentance comes after. Repentance that. comes after. That's right. Of our life. Mm-hmm. conviction not done necessarily. Anyway, sorry. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So there's a quote I wanted to share. And what's interesting, after I was digging into it, um, it's commonly attributed to Martin Luther, though I did some digging, and I can't find anywhere where Martin Luther said okay. it. It sounds like it may have come from Karl Barth, Karl Barth, who was influenced by Martin Luther. But anyway... The quote is, when I became a believer, I thought that I had drowned the old nature. But it turns out, the rascal knew how to swim. (laughs) I really love that. Because, one, I think the the word rascal is hilarious because I call my children rascals. Um, But yeah, I mean, 
I love that because it sums up in a funny way exactly how I have felt or how we often feel about our sanctification or about our life in Christ, what it looks like after regenerated. I thought when I became a believer that life would be easy. I thought I'd stop sinning. You know, I thought that I would be uh, a much, uh, I thought I'd stop yelling at my kids. I thought I would, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is we struggle with. We thought those things would completely go away and they didn't. And there are times where that can, that can cause us to mm-hmm. uh, despair a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I think to know that that is a common feeling is helpful, yeah. right? Um, I wouldn't stop there, but just knowing that we all experience that. We all come to this realization that I, I thought my old nature was gone. I thought it drowned. It turns out he's swimming back towards me. Can I ask you a question? I, I know you're kind of on a time. Long. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, um, I, I had a preacher one time who's... He talked about how the old nature died and the new nature came. And, yeah. and again, it, seemed, it sounded like a transition like that, right? Yeah. But what we're saying here is it's not like that at all. And it could look like that, it, depending on if your curve is more you know, ver- vertical as opposed to horizontal. But well, I think my question is... Yeah, go for it. So he used to say to us that the, think of that the old nature is like a black dog in you. And the, the new nature would be the white dog in you. Now, he would say, who's going to win? And literally, he's, he was trying to get us to say, well, you know, in like American movies, always the white dog wins. You know what I mean? <laughs> the white versus but, light. Dark versus light. But it turns out he's saying, no, it's the dog you feed the most. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the thing that I like to think about in that regard is that when we talk about that old to new, right, we tend to think of that like in totality. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to remember is that it, this is what helps that. Because we haven't been made perfect. It's like that language that Sinclair Ferguson used. The work for us is completed, but the work going on inside us isn't completed. And so our old sin nature has been, has been uh, ushered out in, in favor of a new, new nature. But we are still in our flesh, and our flesh will always struggle against sin. Sin has lost its dominion over us, but sin will try to regain its dominion. The presence of the Spirit is literally the source of our conflict, if you think about it. Our struggle that we have in this life, the conflict that we have against sin— is literally because the Spirit's present. The Spirit's, yeah. if you want to say it that way, causes it. So, so at least there's a battle. Yeah, so yeah. there's at least a battle. Right. I think what's helpful, I don't mean to interrupt you, Daniel, no, what's, what's helpful with what you're saying, what he's saying, what dies, our old self, we are actually no longer subject to the dominion of sin, to the being slaves to sin. That's the old nature, that we were under the dominion of sin. And so it's going to be an immense struggle for our life, but we no longer are enslaved to that sin, that old nature. And I think that's really helpful to think about when you die to the old nature. It's being the dominion that that had over our lives. Well, and walking in the Spirit is new. It's right. new to us, mm-hmm. and it's much easier to walk in the flesh. I mean, I've easier. been doing that for how many years? Mm-hmm. And so um, I think when you, well, this morning I was reminded of this scripture, um, Galatians chapter 5, it says, 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Absolutely. So it's not quit mm -hmm. doing what the flesh demands. It's start walking in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, just start walking in the Spirit? Okay. Uh, okay, you walk out the door, and okay, what's walking? Walking in the spirit, do I walk down the hall? Do I run? What you know? What? And, and so it takes right. that we have to learn about what walking in the spirit is, absolutely, and right. how to do that. And then also, when you were, um, gosh, and, and it tells you what the deeds of the flesh are, Danny, mm -hmm. and you were listing some of them that you struggle with, yeah. and that's because. So what has to happen is to me, yeah. what I have to do is stop and realize, actually, my justification is a done deal because he did it. My sanctification is a done deal because he says it is. Mm -hmm. He also tells me he's planned my good works that I'm to walk mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. Okay, it doesn't stand any reason to me that if he's got them planned, he's going to let me choose if I'm going to walk in them or not. Because I have to. It's, it's imperative that I walk in them. So I learn to walk in the Spirit. And I believe he does that. So I get up in the morning and I say, I thank you that I am being sanctified. And today you're going to lead me. When I go to bed tonight, I'm going to know that I have walked. And if, if I'm not, I'm going to recognize these deeds of the flesh. And I can stop right then and say, Lord, I give that to you, that you died for that. I'm not walking in this. I, I'm not going to yell at Jeff anymore and be rude. Thank you, Lord. That's right. for his sanctification. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so what's... Thank you, Erling, for that. That's incredible. And I, Jeremy, thank you for your thoughts because they're both married in this next point. So Galatians, since you're already there, would you mind reading Galatians 5, verse 17? Verse 17. Mm -hmm. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please right so if the conversation in, in this book the way it's being framed the, the question being asked in this chapter is is our sanctification plain sailing no this says the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do so there's a duality at play here. On one hand, there's the Spirit. It now lives in us. It's pulling us towards the things of God. It's pulling us towards good. It's helping us develop the fruits of the Spirit. But on the other hand, we still live in these fleshly, earthly meat bags, and they pull us towards evil, right? Our flesh pulls us towards evil. So these two things are constantly at odds, mm. and they will be in this life. Mm -hmm. But it shouldn't cause us despair, but we'll get that in a minute. Can, can I ask, is in you guys' mind, is it like in the sanctification process, is it that you really are learning to be, to finally overcome that thing that is always besetting you? It's growing, it's growing in Christ-likeness. It's growing in holiness. And part of that is mortifying sin. Mortifying meaning like you are, you are battling sin, you are conquering sin. You won't ever do it perfectly. Right? There's going to be struggles that you have, possibly even very particular sin struggles that you have throughout your entire life. But ultimately, we, we, we will be growing towards Christ-likeness. And a good thing also remember is the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. 
And what are the fruits of the Spirit? I don't say this as, uh, they're pretty general. And that's almost a benefit to us. Peace, love, joy, kindness. So think about, you know, I'm just going to use an example because it's really common. And I, and I hate that it's so common, but for men, one of the most common struggles when we talk about sin, sanctification, is lust, mm. right? You may, as a man, continue to struggle with lust your entire life, right? That may be just something that, the, in, in, in me, my flesh is struggling against that forevermore. But in my growing, the thing that should give us hope, the thing that should give us encouragement is, look at the fruits of the Spirit. I'm still struggling, yes, and I should be overcoming it. And by the Spirit's power, I hope He helps me do that. But am I also growing in peace? Am I growing in love? Am I growing in kindness? Like these things are a benefit to us. They're not, the fruits of the Spirit should not, not be viewed through some sort of legalistic lens. They're viewed as a benefit to us, right? The fruits of the Spirit, that is an outpouring of God's love for us, right? So I'm going to keep moving real quick because we're really running out of time and I've got way too much here. So Jeremy, would you mind reading, or actually Sheldon, yeah. would you mind reading Romans 7? 14 through 25. This is sort of the, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Uh, Would you mind reading that for us? Verses 14 through 25? Through 25. Yes. We know that this law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. (laughs) Now if I do what I do not want, is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So to start, this is just something I thought was interesting because I had never personally experienced it. Um, there, There are some out there that make the argument that Paul here is not speaking as a regenerate believer, but as he's speaking... Hmm. as himself before generation. Interesting. I think Ezra Murray does that. Yeah, so what's interesting to me, so, I, so I'll say that I'm not fully equipped to combat that because I had never heard it until I was studying for this lesson. I've always understood that to mean, if you see there, there is, in, in all of Romans, he's talking one way, but he shifts his tense. Like, so it's grammatically, we look at this, he's now speaking in present tense. And so for me, I, right or wrong, guys, this is how I interpret things. Usually the simplest answer is almost always the correct one. Not always, but in my mind, without further study, this shift in grammar, the shift in tone that he's making sort of proves to me that Paul is speaking as a regenerate believer. Mm-hmm. He's making these statements not as like, 
Oh, remember that old me? He's not speaking in that way. He's talking about himself right now. Like as he's writing yeah, this letter. Absolutely. Right? Paul is speaking as a regenerate believer. He himself is struggling. It should be revealing to us that someone mature in the faith who makes claims to, uh, what does he say? Um, basically to the effect of be like me, yeah. imitate me. Yeah. Somebody who would make that claim, mature in the faith, makes these observations. So why would our lives be any different? This is an experience. This experience is a reality that we all live in and can easily put into our own words. What Paul is saying here in this, this passage for I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I mean, how many times have we done that? Yeah. The same old thing, right? The same old sin struggle, the same old thing that uh, we don't want to do, but we do it. Like, we can all relate to that. We've all had those moments. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Anyway, it goes on. Show them that. What's interesting here is that this sort of also proves the sort of all the already not yet realities mm-hmm. of the Christian life. Yeah. We often talk about the reality of, of, of this journey, the reality of our Christian lives as an already not yet. We think about the things that are already done. There's also this aspect of things that are not yet done, right? We've not been perfected. We've been given a new, a new sense of life. We've been legally declared righteous. We now have the love of the Father. We've been indwelt with the Spirit. But that work for us has been completed, but the work in us has not been completed. So it sort of like plays nicely with this already not yet sort of language that we often use in our church. We have been freed from the power of sin, but we have not yet been freed from the presence of sin. Sin has no power or dominion over us. It just doesn't. It's clear in Scripture as we've read but it doesn't remove the presence of sin. So the presence of sin is still there. It's doing everything it can to reclaim the dominion it once had over us, um, which is why we see conflict. I thought this was really interesting. This was another quote from Sinclair Ferguson that I really loved. I'm just going to read it. While the dispensation or the giving of the Spirit is indeed glorious, as we see in 2 Corinthians, it is seriously mistaken to conclude that the presence of the Spirit will keep us from sin. It illustrates the difficulty we have in accepting the tensions produced by the present incompleteness of God's work in us in view of the completeness of his work for us. The biblical response to that view, that the Spirit raises God's people above those conflicts, is that, in fact, it is the presence of the Spirit that produces these conflicts. So the presence of the Spirit is what causes the conflicts in our life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ryan likes to talk a lot about how grace makes things difficult. It makes things messy. You start talking about grace, that's when things get hard. Yeah. Right? It's much easier to live under law. Much easier. Do this and live. Do this and die. Grace is what makes that hard. Only thing, and, only thing is that's a lie. What's a lie? Do this and live, do this and die. Absolutely. It's a lie. So by the by this sort of this in the same way, the spirit, the giving of the spirit to us is actually what makes our Christian life difficult. It's what makes it not plain sailing. Uh The fact that the spirit is present in us now causes an internal conflict against the desires of the flesh. The fact that we've been given the spirit almost 
immediately proves that there will be a battle, there will be a struggle. It's what creates the struggle in us. So by means of that thinking, is the struggle good or bad? Great. The struggle is great and should be expected. I don't want to end there, though, because it should be expected and it should be celebrated. Um, but I don't want to end there. And so you think of it that way, you are, you're always condemning yourself, you know? Yeah. Because you're never good enough. Yeah. But we are in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. I'm going a little out of order here. I'm going to read these just real quick. So then what can we expect on the journey? We can expect imperfection. This is from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, Second London Baptist Confession. is something our, our church subscribes to. This sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abides still some remnants of corruption in every part, wherefrom arises a continual and irreconcilable war. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. We can expect conflict. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Again, that speaks about the dual natures. They live in conflict with one another. We can also expect sorrow. So if you think about that, there's a war. We know that the war is going to be won. But what is a war if not a concentration of battles? We're not always going to win every battle. So there's some sorrow that comes with that. While appropriate, we should be grieving against our sin. We should be broken over our sin. It is good and appropriate. But is that, is that easy? In the moment when we're struggling, in the moment when we're sinning, not wanting to sin, is that easy? No. no. It can be discouraging. So we have basically five minutes left, and I want to be... We've gotten in trouble in the past for going over because we're <laughs> supposed to pick up kids. Go to, Anyway, um, so I'm going to try to wrap this. I'm going to try to land this plane in the next five minutes. So that's essentially where this chapter lands. And the reason for that is we move to the next chapter of the book. We talk about more encouraging things. So then is that, is that just all we should expect? It's just constant sorrow, grief, conflict, tension. And ultimately that does not describe our full experience in Christ. We know that. There's a lot of joy, hope, and gladness that comes in our life in Christ. But I don't want to steal that thunder. But I do, I don't like ending on that note because it just feels a little too discouraging for me. Yeah, so, would somebody read Romans 7, 24 through 25? Sheldon, you actually just read it, but I, I want to read it again. Just those two verses, 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. So is there hope for us? Yes. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Absolutely. Wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? Before he even finishes his thought in this letter, he answers it immediately. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can somebody read 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5? For we know that if the tent, he says 2 Corinthians 5, make sure. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. 
For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, that not, not that we would be unclothed, but that would be, we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So in my notes, I bolded that last line, mm. the emphasis mine. Mm. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Amen. So yes, the Spirit does, by nature of its existence in us, causes us to have conflict with our flesh, but it was also given to us as a guarantee. It's given to us as a guarantee, a guarantee that we will ultimately, one day, defeat sin in the heavenly resurrection of our bodies and in our joining of our spirit and our bodies in heaven with Christ. The mm-hmm. Spirit himself is the first fruits of glory. So we talk about the fruits of the Spirit being the, the, the fruit that the Spirit is working in us. The Spirit himself is the first fruits of glory. It is our first taste of what it will be like to be in heaven. Mm-hmm. The Spirit giving us the ability to please God, to live a life that's holy, to, to live in such a way that God wants us to live in the original design, we can now do. And so it was given to us as a guarantee that one day our bodies will be glorified and we'll be in heaven with Him. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. I'll just go ahead and read it. Um, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body mm-hmm. by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Mm-hmm. And then Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a... a, a better singular verse to sort of wrap up that hope that we have. Yeah. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So I don't want that, you know, let's be balanced. That's not, a, again, going back to Romans 6, that's not an excuse for us to sin. Right. It's not an excuse for us to slack off. Um, it's not an excuse for us to not try. But that ultimately through the Spirit's power, we are being, we are and are being sanctified. And while we will struggle in this life, we are guaranteed that it will be a struggle by the very existence of the Spirit in us. It's guaranteed that it'll be a struggle. We're also guaranteed that it won't be a struggle forever. Right. Amen. Any, any last thoughts, just comments? I'd like to say thank you for your definition and stuff. Because sure. I, I got a better picture now how that works. Glad that helps. But also... How would you use? How would you say that so that if you ever try to explain to somebody? Do you say that I'm justified through the blood of Jesus, and then the process that I'm on is sanctification? We have been justified, and that's I think Jeremy talked about that last week. That's probably I don't know. Ryan's probably talked about it sometimes too. But we get the Roman Church when we say that our justification is because of our sanctification. That's what, the, that's what the Roman Catholic Church says. Basically, we are good with God because of our works. What we're saying is that because of God, our works are good. Anything else? It's a journey. It's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah.
And next week, let me see what's next week. Yeah, so next week, I think the chapter is called, it's called Time to Get the Knife Out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so talking, talking in a little more practical terms about our struggle. So the, the point of this was to sort of prove that there is a struggle. I think that, you know, that's one of the things that Sinclair was talking about is giving us the spirit is indeed a glorious thing, and we have it, and our life in Christ is a joyous one. But it's just sort of making the case for there will be hardship. Just because we're in Christ now doesn't mean that things are easy and that things just get better overnight, right? There will be struggle. So that's that was the point of this chapter. So it's encouraging, though. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. It's it's encouraging to know, especially again for me that this may not stick out to you, but to me, just sort of that language that Sinclair uses of um, it's the fact the Spirit is in us that's what creates the conflict, mm-hmm. right? Our proof and ultimately our assurance is in our justification. That's where our assurance is. But when we're struggling, if we remember that the fact that we're struggling sort of indicates that that the Spirit is in us, it's a helpful thing to remember in the moment. So really, the the carnal man does not even get to have any of those thoughts. Nothing to struggle for. He can't. His mind is set against Christ. He's not in the Spirit. He's in the flesh. Okay, well, I'm going to... I'm going to pray real quick and then we can keep talking afterwards, but I want to make sure that we're good. You saw five minutes. Yeah. (laughs) God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for how much you love us. God, I just thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the gift um, that you've given us in Christ. Thank you that it is a gift. Thank you that there's nothing we have done or could do to earn it, but that you've given it freely. God, that you've freely given us your Holy Spirit as a means to as, as a means to please you, but also as a guarantee as the first fruits of glory. And so, God, what I ask for us is that we would ponder on this reality, that we would embrace it, and that we would seek to honor you, that we would seek to glorify you in the things that we do and say. God, help us to, to live out the Great Commission. Help us to make disciples of all nations help us to be encouraging to one another help us to in this community of believers in our church help each other grow and be sanctified as we'll learn in um, future lessons about just the community of believers and how we do this together and how we can better do this together god just give us a love for each other that uh, is reflective of your love for your church and again we just ask that you would be with uh, ryan or jeremy or whoever's preaching this morning god let your words be clear And help us, God, to receive what it is that you would teach us this morning. So thank you again for loving us. We love you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen.